0: Corinth had a different problems that, that they were struggling uh, with, and so they sent a message to Paul, and so this letter, 1 Corinthians, is, um, is Paul's response uh, to their questions. Uh, there's also a woman in the church at Corinth named Chloe that we read about in chapter 1 and verse 11, um, he's also, and then corresponding with Paul, and of letting Paul know about some of the issues in Corinth as well. When you get to chapter 12, you get to some questions surrounding gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit was handing out various miraculous um, gifts to to aid the church, uh, such as speaking in different languages, or being able to interpret other languages that others were speaking, or uh, being able to receive messages from God about uh, God's will for the church, or even future events. Uh, but the way that the, the Christians there at Corinth were using their gifts was was causing problems. Uh, certain spiritual gifts were elevated above others, uh, maybe because they were more flashy or impressive. And so you see some some problems developing there in the church. So in chapter 12, Paul compared the church to a body just as the body has many different parts different roles, uh, those different parts have different roles, different functions that they that they play, and the church has many different people with various abilities, the spirit um, in the church there handed out these different miraculous abilities to the individuals so that the church can, can work effectively and function as, as a whole. So at, at this point, Paul pauses kind of in his discussion of spiritual gifts um, to, to kind of get to the heart of, of the problem. Um, in chapter 12, the verse 31, Paul says, and I show you still a more excellent way. Uh, there was still something that they needed to, to think about more deeply that would get to the, the heart of, of the problem issue, which was a lack of love. That was at the the heart of the church's issues. Um, Paul was building up to this point in the letter. And before we looked at the chapter, just think uh, think about this question a little bit. Think about these questions. Uh, What gets in the way of love? Um, What gets in the way of people loving each other more effectively? What kind of heart issues? If you think you're at play? So 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the first three verses. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, that profit's me nothing. So, notice how this chapter is kind of a continuation of Paul's previous discussion about the use of spiritual gifts. So he starts by highlighting some of the more maybe flashy. Uh, impressive gifts of the Spirit, of speaking in different languages and prophesying. And notice how Paul takes these gifts to their limits. He imagines a person being able to speak in many different human languages and even being able to speak in in the tongues of angels, speaking in the language that the angels would speak, kind of being at the very top the very limit of this gift. He imagines a situation where a person who prophesies knows all mysteries and has all knowledge. There's no limit to what they know and what they're able to reveal about God and God's will. He imagines a person who has so much faith that they are able to move mountains. And he imagines a person uh, who gives everything they have, The person who sells their possessions and becomes destitute in order to feed the poor. Or a person who gives their very life in this early painful way of being being burned to death. if these gifts were used without love, or without love motivating them, then there is no benefit for the one with the spiritual gift. Verse 1, the person who uses their gift of prophecy without love, they are like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. They're just making a you know, loud, obnoxious noise. Oh, or the person, verse 2, who speaks all mysteries or moves, moves mountains without love. They are nothing. Verse 3, the person who gives everything, even their own life, without love, it does not profit them. They gave everything and it doesn't matter. Now, you can see this in the, the Corinthian church and of as a whole. Uh, They had these great gifts through the Spirit. They had all these gifted people doing these kind of great things. But it wasn't benefiting the church. Uh, Their service, kind of when you get into chapter 14, which we're not going to look at, but their service was chaotic because people were speaking out of turn. They were interrupting each other. Uh, People were speaking in different languages with nobody to interpret the message. Uh, People were using their gifts to elevate and to serve themselves rather than serving the church and so the church is weak and, and divided. Uh, this makes me think of, of sports um, where a team will make some trades and assemble kind this super team with some of you know the, the top players in the in the league. Sometimes this works, and sometimes it, it doesn't work. Uh, recently in the NBA, this has happened a lot in the last few years. Um, think about the Lakers back in 2018. You had the Lakers trading for LeBron James. LeBron James was one of the the faces of the league. He was he was kind of the top dog. Then um, they traded for Anthony Davis, who was a kind of a talented center. Uh, he was, former first-round draft pick and one of the, thought to be one of the top uh, players in his position. And then they got Russell Westbrook last year, he was this, this great scorer. Um, and so you had all these individual players who were wildly talented, but together, uh, they weren't a cohesive group. And so last year after they assembled of good Super Team, they ended up the year with a losing record, surgery. 33 wins, 49 losses, 11th uh, place in the conference, and missing the playoffs. Uh, so just because you have talented players doesn't mean that you have a cohesive group that can work together. So the church at Corinth had all these gifts; they were kind of a super church, um, but it, it didn't matter because they couldn't get along, and the church uh, was weak and divided due to their life of love for each other. So let's continue on in verses four through seven. It says, Love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous. Love does not brag, it is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not proposed. It does not take into account the wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so Paul describes some characteristics of love. Paul well, talking to you about some characteristics that have no part in love. And I don't think that this is an exhaustive list. I think Paul picks these attributes of love because uh, they are because it relates to their specific situation there in in Corinth. And so love is patience or uh, long-suffering. It suffers long. Uh, Love shows forbearance under provocation or strain, was the dictionary definition of, of patience. It is kind, or the idea of gentleness. Love rejoices with the truth. Uh, This is in contrast to delighting in evil. Uh, This might be the idea that when we look at other people, we delight in the things about them that are good. And we even seek to kind of emphasize those things that that are good. And we don't take pleasure in the things in their character that, that are evil. We tend to emphasize people's good qualities when we like them, and and people we don't like as much we tend to see their their bad qualities, their poor qualities, Uh, but that's not what love does. Love bears all things. Love will bear whatever hurts or afflictions come as a result of the relationship. Uh, It also, uh, this bears all things. It also means to cover or conceal. Uh, this could be the idea of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 that says love covers a multitude yeah. of sins. And we're willing to overlook slights or character flaws of other people when we love them. Uh, love believes all things. Uh, this isn't the idea of just believing everything that, that someone says. Uh, this it's the idea that you believe the best in someone uh, when, there's no, when there's no evidence to the contrary. It's kind of the idea of granting the benefit of the doubt to, to someone else. Uh, it hopes all things. Uh, believing the best in someone even when there is evidence to the contrary. And it endures all things, it endures uh, through every difficult situation. So Paul mentions characteristics that have no part in love. So love is not jealous, or the idea of not envying. And so love doesn't look at someone else and something that someone else has and wishes that they didn't have that and that we had that instead. It doesn't brag. Uh, This is speech meant to elevate yourself above someone else. And love is not arrogant, uh, this goes along with bragging. So arrogance is the self-important attitude, whereas bragging uh, is the outward display of, of that arrogance. Uh, it does not act unbecomingly. Uh, this, this describes an kind of action that is disgraceful or dishonorable or indecent. Uh, DNI being so it does not dishonor others. Uh, you could think of this as maybe rude behavior. Uh, love does not act in a rude way uh, towards other people. <clears throat> it doesn't seek its own as uh, the idea of being selfish or concerned only about your, your own desires, your own wants and needs. It's not provoked, it's not easily angered, as the opposite of being patient or long-suffering. It's a, a short fuse. And it doesn't take into account the long. suffer. So love doesn't keep track of all the ways that it's been hurt or um, mistakes against, it, against us. So I'll we'll have more, uh, more to say about this about these list in a moment. I'm um, going to finish off a chapter starting verse Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, it will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. And so just a kind of a caveat at the beginning of this section. There are different interpretations on um, how to take some of these things in, in this section, and I'm not going to take the time to go, uh, to go through all of them, because that's not really my focus for tonight. But the overall message of this section is that is that the need of, of love will never end, whereas the miraculous spiritual gifts of the Spirit would come to an end. And so Paul is elevating love above these miraculous spiritual gifts of of the Spirit. Uh, Because the Great Church was doing the opposite. They were elevating their gifts above their fellow Christians. And so, in verse 8, Paul says love never fails. Again, he shows the the primacy of of love. very But, if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. And if there is knowledge, it will be done away. So, Paul uses these three miraculous gifts as as a representation of all of the gifts as a a whole. And he says that they will cease. In verse 9, he says, we know in part, and we prophesy in part. I think... I think he is describing how God reveals, how God revealed His his will kind of over time and in small portions and parts. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son. And so God revealed His message through different prophets in various different ways and in many and in many portions, in many times. Uh, this was the case in the New Testament as well. Jesus didn't tell all of the apostles everything that they needed to know all at, all at one time. In John chapter 16, and verses 12 and 13, uh, Jesus Speaking to his apostles, uh, the night before he was, he was crucified, he said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. So Jesus is going to send the spirit and the Spirit is going to reveal more of God's plan. And even after the apostles received the Spirit, he didn't reveal everything at once, um, but at, at the right time. So, for example, the gospel was preached only to the Jews on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And then it's not until Acts chapter 10 that God reveals to Peter that the Gentiles are, are to be accepted into the church. So this was likely years after the gospel had first been preached. And so the Spirit didn't reveal everything about the kingdom at once, but over time, when it was the right time. And we see the Spirit was at work in the church at Corinth, revealing his will to certain individuals, uh, giving guidance to the church, helping it function as in the church's infancy. so verse 10. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. So this is kind of where there's different interpretations. So the partial will be done away when the perfect comes. So what is the perfect? Uh, The perfect is also translated as complete. So when the complete comes, uh, which I think helps to explain the idea a little bit easier. So if the partial is God's partial message, given and revealed over time, then it makes sense that the perfect or complete would be God's completed message. So when God had revealed all He wanted to reveal, then the means by which He revealed His message, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, would cease. Uh, It would cease to be necessary, and so they would end. So in verses 11 and 12, Paul drives home his point with some illustrations. Uh, verse 11, the child acts and speaks like a child, uh, but when they grow up, they stop act, acting like a child. Uh, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit were needed for the church, but when the church grew out of its infancy, it would no longer need the miraculous gifts of the Spirit to function. Verse 12, There's the idea of, this, of an ancient mirror. Uh, ancient mirrors are not like the mirrors that we have today. They uh, would be more like looking at your reflection and have a piece of shiny, polished metal. Um, so it, it wouldn't be very clear as opposed to speaking with someone, looking at someone face-to-face. And so in the illustration the ancient mirror that isn't clear, is the time of the spiritual gifts where God was still revealing his message to the church. And then seeing someone clearly face-to-face would be God, um, God's completed message, understanding being able to see all of God's revealed message for the church. And so once all of the message God intended to give to mankind was, was revealed, and the church was established and no longer in its infancy, uh, there would no, no longer be a need for the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. It's, they would cease. The church would have what it needed to function and thrive. Uh, verse 13 says, Without faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Uh, we see faith, hope, and love a lot in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings. And these are things that we desperately need. Uh, we desperately need and we desperately need to grow in Um, Paul elevates love above faith and hope although he doesn't really get the reasoning behind this Um, maybe the reason is that the need for faith and hope will end uh, when Jesus returns Uh, but the need for love will go on into eternity and so what the what the Corinthian church needed was faith, hope, and love but what they needed the most was was love So what does it look like uh, when we don't have love? Um, When we look at this chapter in the context of of the entire letter, we can see how Paul has been building up to this point. Uh, The Corinthian church is a church, as we said, with with many problems uh, that Paul was trying to address in this letter. The lack of of love was at at the center of, of their issues. And when Paul says that love isn't jealous, it doesn't brag, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it's not selfish, and he's pointing out heart issues that he's already mentioned earlier in the book, in the the letter to the Corinthians. So I'd like to take a little bit of time to to look at some of these. In the first four chapters of of the letter to the Corinthians, Paul is kind of dealing with, with some of their divisions. So in chapter 1, Paul spent some time talking about the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom from God. So God chose a plan and a message that the wise and the noble of this world reject It seems foolishness to them. And God chose the weak and the humble above world standards to be a part of his kingdom. Paul reminds them of this fact that among their number there weren't very many wise or mighty or noble kind of in the eyes of the world. Uh, It is Christ who matters. He is our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. And in chapter 1 and verse 31, Paul quotes from Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23, which says, Let him who boasts boast in the Lord. So rather than the Corinthians boasting and bragging about anything they, they think that they do, they were to boast in the Lord They were to find their value in what Jesus did for them, in what, in what Jesus made them, which is children of God. Um, it's also interesting that that uh, passage is, is quoted in Second Corinthians as well. I think it's in chapter 10. Um, but Paul, Paul felt the need to, to reiterate that and to, uh, to say that again in the second letter. If you look at chapters 3 and verse Solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it, indeed even now you are not yet able. For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like like mere men? For when one says, I am am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? So Paul shows how jealousy had played a part in their divisions that he mentioned in the in the first chapter. Uh, They were walking in a fleshly, worldly way rather than according to the the spirit. If you look at chapter four and verses six and seven, it says, Now now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. So that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no so that no one of you will become arrogant to the half of one against the other. For who regards you as superior, what do you have that you did not receive? And what did you And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not, as if you had not received it? Uh, Paul brings out the hard issue of, of arrogance, of feeling of this feeling of a superiority over someone else uh, that led them to to boast and to brag about their their great wisdom. And chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife, you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. So Paul brings out the fact that it was their arrogance that had caused them not to deal uh, with with the sexual sin in in the church there. In chapter 6, Paul brings out the fact that they were uh, suing each other, um, so they were unwilling to let financial matters go in order to and enable in order to save their relationships. And there are uh, there are more passages that we can look at, but I think this kind of shows that the, the reasoning the reason that, that Paul mentions um, these problems of pride and arrogance and selfishness in chapter thirteen was because he had kind of already been dealing with these with these issues uh, throughout the letter. So we see a negative example of a lack of love in the Corinthians, but we see a positive example of love in Paul in both this letter, but also in, in 2 Corinthians. We see it especially in, in the letter of 2 Corinthians. So I'd like to look at some of these passages. Um, chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Plans why like they didn't go and visit the church in Corinth. Uh, he wanted to give them some more time for them to change before he came and visited again. But you can see his love for them. You know, this church with all of their problems. Uh, but Paul has confidence in them that, that they will change and that they will respond positively to his message. Uh, he, is op- he is hoping all things and he is believing all things. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are a letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Uh, there were some who were questioning Paul, questioning his authority, questioning his motives there in the church. And Paul is asking if he needs a letter of recommendation to get to the Corinthian church so that they would accept him. And Paul says that they are his letter of recommendation. Uh, the work that he had done there at Corinth, the way that they were written on his, on his heart showed that they should accept him. Just a couple more passages here in Second Corinthians. Look at chapter 6 and verse 11. Our mouth is spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange they speak as to children, open wide to us also. So even though they were rejecting Paul, some there the, the church in Corinth, Paul still opens up himself and he pleads with them uh, to open their hearts to him. You know, he's willing to open himself up to further rejection if by some chance they will turn down to God. And then chapter 7 and verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, that have, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God, make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one, we corrupted no one. Took advantage of no one. I did not speak to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joys in all of our affliction. So again, Paul is patient with the Corinthians. Paul is not given up on them. He believes in them. He's hoping that they will change. He's rejoicing.
1: He's rejoicing in the truth. He's willing to open up his
0: heart and to, and to risk being rejected in order to help the Corinthians to, to see God and to, to turn back to uh, to turn back to God. And so again, there are other passages that we can look at, but I think that Paul uh, was a good example of of love. characteristics of love that he mentions in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. He is showing these in the way that he is reaching out to the Corinthian church. And so some some kind of closing remarks. Um, Just some things that I have been thinking about uh, as I studied through um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. These are easy concepts and they're hard concepts. I think they're easily understood. You know, we know what kindness is, we know what gentleness is, we know what patience is. You know, we teach these concepts you know, to our young kids and they're able to understand them. You know, the difficulty is in you know, practicing kindness and patience and to think of others' needs um, instead of just being selfish self-centered. And so the more I studied this passage and thought about these concepts, the the more I could see in myself that I needed to to work on on some of these things, to be more patient with my family, especially when I get home from work and I'm tired and and cranky, Um, to think about other people's needs instead of just my own, and to not hold my opinions so strongly, um, especially at work when I have people that are of different opinions, especially. Um, and to, to be willing to uh, to let hurts go. Um, and I uh, was working on this lesson yesterday morning, and we we were coming to the, to the building to drop off the kids for the kids' study, and so... Driving, driving to the building, and stuck behind some slow drivers. Um, and so I was like, so I get to work on some of the things i been reading about, get to work on some patience. And so as we're, as we're driving, it had just it snowed. Um, and I was thinking, well, they're just being overly cautious. Now, they don't need to be to driving, I don't know, 15 miles per hour, but however slow they were going. They don't need to be backing up traffic, but I'm being patient. Um, and so we got to the roundabout, and they kept going straight, and we turned south. Um, and could see that, um, that they had a flat tire. And so that's why they were going so slow. They were driving on a flat tire. And so I felt that I should get partial credit, because I didn't talk. I didn't fly around and flash my lights still you know those thoughts the the heart um, you know, working on the heart and and having the right attitude uh, is um, this passage it, it also you know shows how a detrimental um, pride it is uh, to love. Um, godly love is its other center it is Thinking of others and looking out for the needs of other people uh, it is yielding to others for their benefit. You know, it's being willing to suffer for the sake of others. You know, um, pride it is self-centered, it's self-focused, it's unyielding, it's unloving. And love, on the other hand, is humble. Um, it then not list. Uh, Paul didn't mention that in, in the list, but it's kind of the opposite of pride. We see humility in the way that Paul acted uh, towards the Corinthian church. Uh, we see humility in, in Jesus' life, in his death on the cross. we spent time thinking about Jesus' sacrifice this morning. Um, so, one passage I want to leave, to leave us with tonight uh, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, verses three through three through eight it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look for your, own, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God. Not regard equality with God a faith to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus is the ultimate example of love, of God in the flesh, of emptying himself, humbling himself to the point of death. For the sake of mankind, because of his love for us. And so Jesus is the greatest example of love. He is our example, and he is also our motivation for love, because he, he loved us uh, so much to give himself, and we should do that for, for other people.
1: And so tonight, uh, if there's any way we can help you in your walk with God, you become a Christian. Thank <laughs> you.